The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. It's an emergency podcast, folks. It's an emergency podcast, a staff grab podcast. I'm Mike Stevens, Sports Illustrated Hockey News, sitting across from me is Rachel Doriev, also of Sports Illustrated in the Hockey News, and also the future first female GM in NHL history. Speaking of GMs, Rachel, holy moly, it's been quite the last, uh, what, 24 hours now? 18 hours, really? This is, It's 6.13 p.m. on Monday, and we're reeling from the Vancouver Canucks firing their head coach, sorry, re- hiring a head coach, then firing their current head coach, then firing like their, their GM and AGM. And then in the morning, the Philadelphia Flyers saw that and got jealous and decided to fire their coach and assistant head, or, and assi- not head coach, assistant coach. Lots has happened. Let's start with Vancouver. Yeah, like it's interesting. I, I feel like maybe two, two and a half weeks ago, we were all sitting here going, the most secure job in Canada is being the GM of a National Hockey League team. And then within... 10 the last 10 days two of the gms have lost their jobs like it's kind of wild to think about i mean one i feel like has been coming for a very long time like three four years at this point you know (laughs) but yeah let's let's talk about vancouver because you had Harmon on a couple weeks ago sure did and he was great because Harmon is great and if you don't follow Mm -hmm. Harmon, fix that very handsome man, gotta say. Very handsome guy. I honestly, like, I would go on a date with Harmon. 100%. Oh, Harmon, you hear that? You hear yeah, that, Harmon listens to this podcast, so. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah. No, he, seriously, though. Harman like, Harmon and, like, Thomas Drant's fantastic reporting. Um, Rick Dollywall's uh, another. Irfan Gafar is, I think, the one that really broke he was the one what who broke was happening it. because. So it was interesting. I was watching 90 Day Fiance last night mm-hmm. because I more important than this, by the was way, was not watching whatever that Jets Leafs nonsense was. It wasn't even a hockey game. And all of a sudden I get a text. Bruce Boudreaux is going to coach Vancouver and it wasn't anyone in hockey that texted me that. And I was like, that's interesting. And so then I quickly texted people to verify. And then I texted one person who said, don't say anything, but this probably isn't the only shoe to drop tonight. And I was like, no. Okay. Yeah. And so the backstory here is the Pittsburgh Penguins are really good at getting people fired because they smashed the Habs and then the Habs fired people. And then they went and beat Vancouver and a jersey was thrown on the ice, which I feel like is always a really bad thing. It's always bad. It's better waffles than a jersey. This is that's exactly what like it's the harbinger of, of change. 
Like it's the most embarrassing thing. It's the last, it's the last ditch effort for fans to be like, we've done, like we've chanted, we brought signs. Like the only thing we can do is now throw, is now like throw the $350 Jersey onto the ice, $200 Jersey on the ice. Like that's the only thing yeah, they that have like left. wasn't a fake Jersey. That was a real Jersey. No, that was legit. It was a Horvat Jersey, I believe legit, which means it has like the stitched C on it and all it's, and it was an old, it was uh, not an old one. It was uh, like an alternate. Yeah, so you know, like I mean, it, it was yeah. So Benning and Wise brought her out, and I can't say this is shocking. When you are eight years into a rebuild, and somehow getting worse, that's not great. And then I want to say like when the week Harmon was on Francesco Aquilini, who's like kind of like the main owner. Mm-hmm. Um, was pictured out to dinner with Elias Pettersson, and that's never a good thing. No. And so I kind of, that's when I started to wonder, is something happening here? Because that's a pretty big thing to be doing. Like, you're not just pulling your player out to dinner for funsies. That would be the equivalent of, like, the CFO of the bank being like, Rachel, we need to go out for dinner. Like, like any, yeah, any time it's 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 like in a relationship where it's like like we, you know we need to talk like getting that kind of text i hate that it's, text. it's not yeah I it's, don't it's like not it, ideal like not even relationships but like any any time like if you notice whenever i need to talk to you i will never say we need to talk yeah you just tell me what you need to I'll talk like, to me yo, about what about this this and this like w- it's not like we need to talk and then silence and meanwhile like in that silence i'm you know losing my mind being like what's going on am i gonna get murdered like uh you know it's <laughs> Yeah, I don't like the we need to talk yeah. type thing. That's not good. But anyway, so Benning's out. Wisebrod's out. Uh, so this is now the second sport that John Wisebrod has been unceremoniously fired from. Embarrassingly, too. Um, I would say this. I think Jim Benning, part of his downfall was that he wasn't a very good communicator. And when you are the guy sitting in the chair that has to answer the media questions, that has to manage upwards... Like, communication, I saw this in New Jersey, is so important. Like, Ray Shiro is, you could, I have my thoughts on him generally, but he was a fantastic Mm. communicator. Like, the managing upwards that had to be done with Josh Harris was wild, wild, that had to be done. And he was able to do that on a near daily basis. And I think that that's something that's super important. You have to be able to communicate your message to the fan base, which is why it's important that Montreal has a GM that can speak French Mm -hmm. because you have to be able to talk to your fan base. So I think Jim Benning could actually succeed in a role that he had in Boston, which is basically he just needs to be behind the scenes and scout. I don't know if he goes in because he is a little bit older. I think like we all know how hockey works. He's going to get hired again. Oh, of course. But I think he would be better if he was like a director of pro scouting or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think he could be successful in a job that didn't require the, the people managing and the communication that a GM requires. Cause those are the two most important things about being a GM. It's not the trades. Cause usually you have a guy that works on trades and then you have a guy that works on contracts and the GM's kind of just like the rubber stamp guy. And he like deals mm. with like communicating with the coach and the owner so I think Jim Benning could be successful in terms of like being a director of pro scouting, but I don't think he, I think you've got to have somebody that's a really, really good communicator. Like that's got to be top of the list for the new hire. 
And that was the opposite of Jim Benning. Like, you could even tell in, in like, in press conferences, I, I didn't understand how this guy held so much sway in, like, a boardroom setting, you know? Well, and the other thing I was, like, I wonder, and I've I've thought about it, I can't really remember... But I wonder if the reason Jim Benning kind of went back into his shell was because when he opened his mouth, he got fined 50 grand for tampering with Stamkos and Subban. Remember that? I get it, <laughs> but it was dumb for him to say yes. that. So like, so, so if, if, so you, the moral of the story is don't hire a guy who he's either completely silent, silent, or when he does speak, he's getting fined for tampering. Like it, it, it's one or the other now. Like this, this brings to end one of the most dysfunctional sagas. Like, like Jim Benning, I feel bad, honestly, for Jim Benning because yes, he's bad at his job. Yes, John Weisbrot is bad, is bad at his job. But this and has like a Jim burner Benning's... Twitter account that is infamous in Vancouver hockey lore. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm more, I'm more uh, like sympathetic to Jim Benning here because, Me too. like he. Yes, he was bad at his job, but it was it was getting to the point where it was unfair. Like it was it was a lot like the Ron Wilson situation in Toronto where it was getting unfair to like put him in that building and to hear like imagine going like imagine you going to work at the bank and every time you sit down at your desk, you know, there's a group of people outside the window going fire Rachel. Like, and and you know, I'm totally with you on that. Like it's. I do feel bad for Jim Benning because in like the very minimal interactions that I've had with him and then like what people have told me about their interactions, he seems like a genuinely like nice person. Yeah. He seems like a nice guy. And I know that's like a super low bar to clear, but like in hockey, that bar does need to be cleared. Mm-hmm. And I not going to say the, the, the same thing about his counterpart. I'm sure that like the fact that former Canucks scouts, were tweeting like cheers emojis kind of tells you all you need to know about the other individual that was canned from management. Yeah. Right. And so I think let's, let's talk about who can, who's going to, you know, replace, because I know you've got a piece that talks about uh, potential GMs. What do you think, sir? Other than, other than who I suggested on our last podcast. Yeah, so so I guess let's cover real quick. Like the the main name that's floating around is Mark Bergevin, which is I think like when I, I really dug into it today, just because I'm doing I'm I'm working on a I had to you know write four articles today, and then I'm going to do a long longer piece tomorrow about um uh like the top five candidates, and there are a lot of interesting ones that we're going to get into now as well. But <sighs> Mark Bergevin and Jim Benning have so much in common when you look at how they like how poorly they ran their teams and the way like the like they both achieved success in 2014 or 2015 and then it was bookended with just absolute you know 5 to 6 years of complete mediocrity and then within the last year or two which was you know it was the Canucks which was 2020 the Habs which was 2021 they had success again and then they fell right back to earth again this year it was they both of them couldn't couldn't build sustainable success. Both of them had spotty draft records. Jim Benning was able to draft a lot in, in the first round, you know, ta- in, in the top 10. And like, th- that's where he got. Yeah. Like I heard yeah? Farhan Laldry make a fantastic point today. You don't get credit for hitting in the top 10. That's your no, job. You're expected to. Yeah. So when you miss on guys like Oliu Alevi, that goes against you. Whereas, you know what? When you get a guy like Nils Hoaglander or Thatcher Demko, that's a feather in the cap. That is good yes, drafting. Yes, absolutely. But if you miss on a top 10 pick, 
you're expected to hit on those picks. So when you miss, it goes against you. And you don't get a check mark when you hit on a top 10 pick. You damn well should be hitting on a top 10 pick. I have a very I have a very weird analogy for that, but it just popped into my head where like drafting in the top 10 is like peeing in that <laughs> like if you like you're supposed to you're supposed to get it in the bowl. You don't get credit for getting it in the bowl. If you if if you like it, that's that's the that, that's what you're supposed to do. And so it's like it's what Jim Benning did and, and Mark I mean Mark Bergman just hasn't gotten anywhere near the ball. Man, you know, if we're in, talking about career. yeah, the last draft, wow. Yeah. Mark Bergman's like <laughs> on the walls at this point. But it but Jim Benning like like he's being able to hit with Pedersen and Hughes and all that, but you're supposed to. But then the it, it, that makes the misses all the worse because then you have the you the Ulevi and the Vertanen picks with the players who were around them when they were picked it makes it even and, worse. And, and the, so the one thing that goes underrated there is that Quinn Hughes fell to them, like should yes. not have been there. Absolutely not. Um, and it is widely widely known that their director of scouting and a mm-hmm. lot of their scouts were vehemently against both of the Vertanen and the Ulevi picks. So basically when Benning listened to his scouting staff, they hit. And when he went rogue, they did not. And then, yeah. And then another similarity between the two is that after their, after, you know, their most, you know, plentiful uh, example of recent success the team crashed down to earth because the GM failed to retain pretty much all of their important players that offseason. Oh, yeah. Like, like Benning let Benning let you know Toffoli, Tanev, Markstrom, Stetcher, all those guys walk out the door. And then last year you had Cock and Yemi, Deneau, like all these other guys. It, it, unfortunately, you know the price and, and Weber things are obviously yeah that not, doesn't count. <laughs> you know they're not his fault. But like there's a lot of striking similarities here. And I don't think like, I don't know why Bergevin would want this himself because he said he wanted more. Like the thought is Bergevin wants like a less intense market. Vancouver is one of the most intense and vitriolic markets out there. And as they should be, like, I think a market that's been tortured like Vancouver should absolutely be as angry as they are. But like if you're looking for, you know, like more of a, a an easygoing pace in the NHL, Vancouver's not where you go. Yeah, like let's so talk I don't about understand why he wants it. Yeah. If you want to chill and maybe not Montreal is the hardest place to be a GM because you you are bad Absolutely. in two languages. I have there's yeah. no misconstruction about that. But That's I would a terrific, say like my favorite quote. If you want to maybe have a break from that level of scrutiny. Places you don't yep. want to go. Toronto, Vancouver, mm-hmm. Edmonton, I would say Chicago. And like that's kind of it because like at least in New York you're insulated by the Yankees. Yeah. Right? And the Knicks and their debauchery, whatever is going the on Yankees, there. The Yankees, the Knicks, the Mets, the Jets and the Giants. Like you're you're insulated and by And to those, a degree the Bills. <laughs> Even yeah, though they like they have the Buffalo, Bills but like and net, did you say Nets? Because to a degree, the yeah. Nets too. They're in Brooklyn, so yeah. y- like you're at least okay there, right? Mm-hmm. And then like you want to look at like the other major markets, and like you've got insulation pretty much everywhere else. So it's really like you're looking at Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, and when they're like real ugly, Edmonton. 
right? And so yeah. if you want to take a step back, you maybe just want to like chill on that one and not go there. But it was floated. The other thing, I with Bergevin and Mellenby, the way they seem to run their team runs in direct contrast to the type of team Bruce Brudro likes to coach. Like Brudro likes laid back, you know, like more offensive. Let your players be their players and we'll get to him in a sec. But like, yeah, the way that Bergevin and Mellenby build a team is not harmonious with the way Boudreaux coaches a team. So right away to me, that's not a good fit. Not to mention, mm. it is not ideal to hire someone who was in a roundabout way related to the Chicago Blackhawks situation and then drafted a guy convicted of a sex crime. A sex criminal. It is not great. It, yeah, and so... There are other options. So there are a plentiful other options. And so I guess like one off the... Like a couple off the top of my head that I was doing. So obviously Mike Fuda. Like he should be... He's in contention for every job. Um, so that's great. He should definitely be up there. I think the number one... Like I, I had a couple other names like Alexander... Al, if, if we're going to do sort of like a, a, a GM and then they're going to hire a president of Hockey Ops, which will be, which will be different, there'll be support there. And I think someone like an Alexandra Mandricki would be great. Um, yes, but she's got it nice in Seattle. <laughs> exactly. So I don't think she's going anywhere. And then also I was thinking someone, if you really want to take a swing at someone, Noel Needham, I think would also be interesting. She, uh, she was a pro scout for the Leafs, then is the assistant GM of the Chicago Steel. She'd be making, she's had a meteoric rise lately. I think she, you know, she'd be good. The one at the top of every, like this will, this will never happen. I think because, you know, he's got it so made where he is. But the number one that should be on everyone's list is Eric Tulski. Oh God, yeah. Like he, like he's he's an AGM, and he will likely never leave that. You know, like he will he will likely supersede. Um, you know, Don Weldell one day when Don Weldell steps down or, or retires or gets fired, or whatever. But like, if I was if I was the Aquilinis and I had the money the Aquilinis do, I would I would just be I would be standing outside of his house just <laughs> throwing money at his windows, like at, like stacks of of money. Just like being just throwing money at him. That's that is the exactly the type of person that they need in there right now. And their their other priority should be finding a GM, but also finding a president of hockey ops. Like they should absolutely be hiring a team president. There needs to be that they've tried to have Jim Benning be both. He obviously wasn't capable of even being one. And now it's to, yeah. You need to insulate. You need to insulate, and you need to have a. And you need to have a support system. You need to like. You need to. It's called a. It's called like a, a tree, like an organizational tree or an organizational like totem pole, or whatever. For a reason, it's because like there's levels to it. And Benning was like, you know, he was he was. Uh, there was a gap, and you can't have a gap there. I think it's very important that they have someone like that. Unless your name is like Lou Lamorello, or. Julian Brisebois. Like, mm -hmm. I really don't think Poho and GM is a good idea anymore. Like, Lou is Lou. And so he can manage. The man has done that many a time. But, like, I think there's an important division there. Like, having Trevor Linden there was a really good insulator. And I will say, like, Alexandra, for my money, and like I don't want this to come off in like a terrible way, but Alexandra Mandricki is the only woman qualified to be a GM right now in the NHL. 
Like Mm -hmm. she's put in the work at the appropriate levels. She's highly, highly intelligent, highly respected. She's worked with people in the league and a lot of people do not take that. But you have to know how to negotiate a trade at the NHL level. You have to know how to negotiate a contract at the NHL level. And if you have not done that, then you are unprepared. Like this goes without saying, but like I am not qualified to be anywhere near that role for those exact reasons, whereas Alex is. And so you need to look at people, if you don't want to retread, you need to look at people that have the requisite experience to do so. Eric Tulski, to me, is the top of the list, although I think Tom Dundon would have a barn fight if anybody even mm-hmm. thought about it. Um, and what Carolina could easily do to like mitigate that is just make Don Waddell Poho and make Tulski GM like right quick. Do what they did in Vegas. Exactly. With Kelly McCrimmon. Speaking of yeah. which, I think George McPhee might be a pretty decent choice here. Same with Ooh. Jim Rutherford. Because Jim Rutherford yep. has experience managing ownership. He had to deal... Remember when Jim Rutherford had to deal with the Carolina Suns suing the their dad? Like, yeah, Jim, the Carmanos. Jim Absolutely. Rutherford can manage upwards. And then if there is one thing, like one thing the Canucks really need to be better at, it's drafting and development. Yeah. And oh yeah. Let me walk you through who has one of the top three sterling ass draft and development records of the NHL, Michael. Who is you it? You have the same name. His name is Michael Fuda. It's a sexy ass first name, I gotta say. Okay, that that's also my dad and brother's name, so we're not gonna go down that road. I stand I stand <laughs> by it. <laughs> I will say though, mics are cool. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you were going to say. I will say though, my brother's sexy as hell. No, so you're mics right. Mics are like, cool. <laughs> the difference is, is my brother and my father are both Michael and only Michael. So when someone says yeah. Mike, I can deal with it because there's a mm. hu- there's a separation there. In my family, exactly. if you say Mike, you get slapped. Like you get slapped. Damn. But I think right. Michael Fuda, at a minimum, deserves a, a look here. Spe- like definitely over Bergevin. Yeah. Um. Because the Canucks clearly need a rebuild here. And under Gillis, they were one of the most like forward thinking teams. They did like sleep analysis, the nutritionist, like analytics was something that Mike Gillis really, really believed in. And then they brought Jim Betting in and like all of that went away. So they need to get back there because that's how you get competitive advantage in a salary cap team. And... I mean, if you look at it, Carolina would not have hired Michael Fuda as a senior advisor if he didn't fit the mold of forward thinking the way the organization does. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're talking about a guy like he. First of all, excellent communicator or he wouldn't be on television. Because he's still on television, so you can't be a bad communicator if you're literally on the TV. Um. I think Jim Rutherford fits that bill as well. Excellent communicator. Same with George McPhee. Um, Jim Rutherford, I would say, is the best trader of the lot there. Like, I would say Rutherford's better for like a president role. Yeah, you know what? Because he's like slowing down. I would. It will also like if you look at his track record from right before he left Pittsburgh. Like he made like the moves he made were. I remember writing a whole article about it at, at Yahoo. Like, like it was, 
It was ridiculous. Yeah, part of me thinks he'd be better suited for president now, but I also yeah. think that what was happening in Pittsburgh was less to do with him and more to do with ownership. Yes. Um, yes. yes. But yes, I yes, do yes. think like Jim Rutherford has all the tools to be a super effective president of hockey operations, uh, similar to what like Brian Burke is in Pittsburgh now. And I think the Canucks should take a really long look at that because if they bring in somebody like McPhee or Rutherford in a president role, then that allows them to bring in somebody who hasn't been a GM before but has requisite experience, i.e. Fuda, Tulski, even though the Tulski thing is never happening. Tulski will never happen, but it's the pie in the sky. Like, Yeah, or like even if you wanted to bring in Scott Mellonby, like – or Matthew Darsh, or like any of these names that That'd are be funny. AGMs but not GMs. If you have someone that has the requisite experience, then you could really do something there. But no matter what, whoever comes in, has there has to be a paramount on scouting, has to be a paramount on development, there has to be a paramount on um, research and development. Not even just analytics, research and development, like all-encompassing. And communication. Those have to be the four things. That person has to tick all four boxes. It is imperative. How funny would it be if the Canucks hired the best Francophone candidate on the market and just completely screwed Montreal? <laughs> like they bring in Matthew Darsh or they bring in like Daniel Briere or something. Like just just to be like, yeah, <laughs> we don't even need a Francophone here, but we got him and now you're screwed. Like it'd be, I think that'd it would be definitely make for, it would be like Montreal, like Montreal took to Foley and now yeah. Vancouver's Ooh, taken I there. GM get it? But yeah, I think those are the, the four big things. Like you've got to be forward thinking for sure. You, we can't be mm. living in like 2003 anymore. Yeah. All right. Let's talk quickly about the coaches because we also have to get to the news in Philly briefly, and we don't want this to be crazy long. So Green and Bumgarner are out. It was a mercy firing. Like, they, like Green looked like a man whose soul had exited his body for the last, you know, and I think, like couple months. I think given, like, a roster that doesn't look like a carcass, he is actually a very good coach. Yeah, given a, d- a decor that <laughs> is competent that doesn't have Tucker Pullman and, and, you know, Tyler Myers playing and Luke you know, Shen seminal and roles. Travis Hammond. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Luke Shen. Like I played road hockey with him when I was like 12, but like, n- yeah, no. a good dude, but <laughs> yeah. And so we have, now we have Bruce Boudreaux and who seems like the perfect fit. Like they really, they, as much as it would have been great if they had fired green and then hired Boudreaux, you know, it, it, it's, it, it does seem like the Aquilini's the, really got the it. The one concern here. I have is that, Boudreaux, when he went into Washington, so he took over Washington when they were 6-14-1, right? Yeah. And then they proceeded to go 37-17-7 and and made the playoffs. But the the big reason I think that this won't happen is because Washington had some seriously talented puck-moving defensemen at the time that could get the puck up and play that high-speed, like, run-and-gun game that catered to Backstrom and Ovechkin and like the the roster that they had, uh, Vancouver has one dude capable of doing that, one guy. Mm. So I think That's there's it. going to have to be like some expectation tempering there. And Washington was not 25 points out of a playoff spot here. Like I think if Boudreaux can get this team, can, if he can get the penalty kill to like 70 percent, or like 75 percent, that would be a blistering accomplishment. Oh yeah. 
Which is right? hilarious so I think to say. He's never been a sub 500 coach, which is incredible to think of. Yeah. I, insane. That's insane. Right. And OK, so what's he known for? I think you wrote the piece, didn't you, that I read on the Hockey News this morning? Yeah. What? Wait. About Bruce Boudreaux, you know, like Mike Russo had a really good uh, piece on him. Oh, like no, a that was uh, that was Matt Larkin, I think. But he's like, I wrote the four other things about. Yeah. <laughs> so he's Boudreaux is like he's known for being laid back. He yeah. lets his best players run and he gets the best out of them. Example, I came I came with evidence, Michael. Mm. OK, in the three years. So the year Boudreaux took over the year after and the year after Ovechkin won two heart trophies, three Ted Lindsay's, two Rockets and a heart. And that was one the first year he took over. He had a 65 goal season. I remember that. That's incredible. I feel like incredible. that's good. Elias Pettersson, line one. <laughs> exactly. And and also, think about, like, he's got Elias Pettersson, all that. Like, the similarities between, like, an Elias Pettersson and Alex Ovechkin that he's got, like, up there, and then a Mike Green, and then, you know, Quinn Hughes, like, puck-moving defenseman back there. You know, it's 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 important. If you don't... And, and so people might say, like, oh, is Bruce Boudreaux just going to go in there and, you know, be, like, the... Like the fun uncle and not have any discipline. Dude, go back and watch <laughs> HBO 24 7, yeah. 2010. Bruce Boudreaux drops 36 F bombs in the span of a minute <laughs> in, in, the, in the intermission. It's absolutely remarkable. Everything this guy does just seems to be like just so endearing, you know? Like he's. You know, he he's he's just a very endearing guy. Talks about how his mom is is like, you know, gives him critiques on on coaching all the time. His mom's probably like, you know, 90 or I something. I think she at is like point. 90. Like, Fun fact, Bruce Boudreaux went to school in like was in the same class as my aunt. Wow. Yeah, so my dad's side uh when they like immigrated to Canada, um they're from the same neighborhood as the Boudreaux family. That's awesome. And like that yeah, it's like a thing. I don't know. And Boudreaux is like one of the most famous people from that neighborhood, obviously, rightfully so. But like, honestly, I think people are looking at this and it's like, is this the St. Louis like Craig Berube moment? No. St. Louis had like no, no, Alex no. Petrangelo and Ryan O'Reilly. Like what? St. Louis is good. Like St. Louis had good players. They were this just is not struggling. Like- yeah, it's it's not they were. Yeah, the Canucks are bad. Like they have good players, but they're bad. Like St. Louis was a good team that was bad. Vancouver is a bad team that is bad. Like I said, what was it last show? Scotty Bowman could not coach that yeah. blue line to success. But <laughs> it, it, it will be very interesting to see what he's able to do with it and all that. All right. Let's move over to Philly to cap it off real quick. Yeah. But I do say I love I love the Boudreaux hiring. I think it's a fantastic yes. hire and I'm super happy I for think Bruce. It's exactly. Because when he's like on exactly NHL network, you could just tell like he's such like a happy go lucky guy. He loves wrestling. Like he's just Oh yeah, he's just a little impish guy. You yeah, know? he's just such a good dude and like he's articulate and like media people tell me he's super kind with his time. So like I'm loving mm-hmm. this for guys like Harmon and Drance and and David Quadrelli. Like I'm loving that for them. Well, I think you'll be able to handle it like a, a an intense media market very well. Like better than better than a lot of other coaches. Now, you know? Philly, on the other hand. Yes. That's another so intense AV, media they, market. They're crazy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, Philly's lost, I believe it's their last eight games. Like they it it is it is it, it, they're in a that might be an exaggeration, but they are in a tailspin. No, I think um, they've lost eight in a row. You are bang on. Have they? Have they? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So they, they've lost eight in a row. Uh, their team is not good. 
Um, and uh, look, a lot of this, like not all of this is on Vino. Like you, like Chuck Fletcher is in win now mode and his win now mode is getting Martin Jones and Rasmus Ristolainen. So let's pump the brakes a little bit on that, but it's, it's not good in there. And so what I like about this is not only is, is Vino gone, but Tarian, Michelle Tarian, his assistant coach is gone too. This is going to hopefully be a lot like a Canuck situation where it li- where there's just a a lighter air around the team. You know, it seemed like Terrien is the you know epitome of a of a bad cop. Like he rules with the iron fist. And I feel like Vigno Vigno you know ha- like that rubbed off on him a lot as well. Hopefully there there's a bit more of you know a les not laissez faire but just like easygoing. You know, and so. Mike Yeo is the interim head coach. I would, I would also like yeah. to point out that both Vino and Terrian speak French. Yeah, I, I mean Terrian's already been the be coach shocked. of the Habs, but like, hasn't he? He's been the coach of the Habs twice. Yes. And so everyone's he's like not going. Mike Terrian. I love it when he's in Philadelphia. It's Mike Terrian. When he's in Montreal, it's Michel. Of course, <laughs> of course. Just like if, like if, if Boudreau got hired, even though I don't think he can speak French, if he got hired there, he'd be Boudreau. Yeah, it, no, but like yeah. I just love the actual Bruce. just huge chasm. It's Mike Terrian in Philadelphia and Michel in Montreal. And to be fair, if my name was Michel, I would not want to be called Mike. Yes, it's not like it's a short form. There is no short form there. <laughs> yeah, if I like if I in for example, my name is Michael. And I was not a big fan of people calling me Michelle when I was in, uh, you know, when, I, when we started French class in, in elementary school. Like, it, it's weird. But yeah, I have the same so, sort of syllab- like syllabic that I was Rochelle. Oh, really? Oh, See, yeah, like, yeah, I you didn't were. mind yeah, yeah. it, though, because like I started with French when I was like two, three. So like I kind of Rochelle a French name. Pardon? Is Rochelle a French name? Like, is it like, no. is that the French Rachel? Rachel? is the Anglophone, and then R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E is oh. the French version. Yeah, it's very much a French thing, like, that way. Man, we have the same kind of kind of thing in our names. That's cool. Um, all right, give me give me your quick thoughts on this, because we don't have to spend too much time on it. It seemed pretty, uh, pretty yeah, cut like, and dry. The difference here is, like, Chuck Fletcher kind of used the bullets in the chamber this summer when he traded Jake Borachek, when he traded for... I liked the Ryan Ellis trade. I thought they got him for a steal. Um, yeah, he's just been hurt. Right, which obviously you can't help that. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen was a choice. And I have a lot of respect for Chuck. Uh, I learned a lot from him in like the two months he was in New Jersey. Like he was actually really good with his time and our offices were beside each other. So like I actually, I really like the guy. I just think that Rasmus Ristolainen deal was horrendous. Oh, it's 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 one of the worst trades we've seen in, in a very right. long so time. Right, so he's kind of, what I mean is, like, he's kind of used his bullets in the chamber of, like, making deals. And so this is kind of the last bullet that he probably gets to use. AV has two years left at $5 million per, so that ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. He's made Yo the interim head coach, which, and what's interesting is he actually brought Mike Yo in in Minnesota as well, so this is kind of right along the line here. But Philly's already been heavily linked to Rick Tockett. I wouldn't be surprised if Torts gets a look, and maybe even Travis Green. But what's interesting is I actually think Torts might be the best fit for this roster. <laughs> Real quick before you hop into torts, can I ask you something? Yeah. What is people's, like, what, you know, just fascination or, you know, enamoring with Rick Tockett? He has not accomplished, as a head coach, he's not accomplished anything at the NHL level. And 
I just don't get why he is like so hotly sought after like he was, you know, for the for the Seattle job, like for this, like he just I don't know. He just doesn't seem like a very attractive candidate. What I know about Rick Tockett is not a good coach for a young team at all because he's he, that's that not it. But if you look at specifically Seattle and I think that's probably why he didn't get the job with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Seattle and you look at Philadelphia, neither of those teams are young. They're all veterans that need like s- yeah. some massaging, but also some ass kicking. And like Rick Talkett's kind of known as the Kessel Whisperer, which is super interesting. Um, you gonna bring Kessel to Philly? I think Kessel might end up in Philly anyways, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, Rick Talkett is, he's not a young players coach. He's more of like that grizzled vet coach that can communicate with the veterans that could kind of get them to see what he's trying to do. That's why I think he's an attractive candidate. He's also a former flyer. Um, Mm -hmm. but to me, I think Torts suits the style of this team the best. And I think of the three, Travis Green is the most like kind of, I think he would be the best long-term coach. But if you really decide you want to do a rebuild and everything, then I think you try and bring Torts in for now because the way that Philly's roster is constructed suits Torts' coaching style the best. Yeah, that'd be fun. Torts in Philly? Torts and Gritty. Torts and Gritty. Oh, can you imagine the content, Rachel? The sheer content. Oh, oh my god. god! I would I, like what that's it. I said day. that to someone today. I was like, I want Torts to get the job simply for the gritty content. Like they'll like never this mind first the day, they'll team. have a like, Oh yeah, like their first day, they're gonna have a video of him like beating the shit out of Gritty or something. Like be, it'll be. Oh, did you? Speaking of which, did you see the dog take a shit on the Flyers logo? It's not a great time in Philadelphia right now. That their PR person. I haven't said laughed that, that hard in a very long time. <laughs> I, that was that's one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. It started so wholesome, and then the dog just one of their and they can't, one of their PR people uh, texted that video to me and said, "Could this go any worse?" They couldn't. Like the worst, the funniest part is they couldn't do anything about it. They had to sit there and wait for the dog to finish, and then like figure out. Like you can't pick up a dog mid poop and like carry it out of there. Like it's not gonna. So they had to wait until the dog. Could it was dump not on great. Their logo. But yeah, the, no. Not the reason great. why right. I think Torts is a fit is if you look at how Philadelphia plays right now, and you look at how Columbus play. Like you look at the personnel that Columbus kind of had when they were at their most successful under Torts. I think it mm-hmm. kind of closely resembles it. Um, also what's like super interesting is the biggest question we had about Philly this year was their goaltending and that's been the best part of their team. Yeah. By like a lot, (laughs) man, like a lot, a lot. And so I just kind of wonder like if, if you're trying to salvage the season, do you go with torts? If you want to go long-term, do you go with someone else? I mean, Torts is definitely the most experienced coach. There's no debate about that. He's definitely the most successful. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's the only dude with a cup there. Um, I also think Torts kind of meshes with the Philadelphia, like, screw you mentality. Like, he's just very sassy. And I would pay good, good money to watch a Torts and Sam Karkidi exchange. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, I would pay. That would like make me so happy. That. Yeah, 
So that's that would, that's that would make me very what very I think happy. is happening there. But Philly just looked dead in the water. Like that that game against Tampa almost looked like a please fire my coach. Yeah, I think they were done. I think I think the the obviously like the team was just done with Vino. Right, and that happens sometimes. Like the coach loses the room. Right, like I think part of it, and I'm not really sure why. I think part of the reason Green was fired was because it became super clear that him and Elias Pettersson were not on the same page. You got to be on the same page as your star, you know, unless it's unless it's unreasonable. You know, you got to be on the same page. See what happened with uh, Mr. Babcock and the star players yep. in Toronto. Like, I find it might not be like the whole team, but if it's certain guys, it's pretty indicative of what's going on. And like Elias Pettersson is usually like a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. And so when he gets like, looks like he's in the dredges of life, that's got to be a concern. Like, if I saw that body language out of Ovechkin, I would be deeply concerned. Well, we did, and then Boudreaux got fired. He called, I remember, he called Boudreaux a fat fuck on the bench, and then got, and then Boudreaux got fired, like, you know, a couple days later. Which is wild, like that, because, and like, then Dale Ovechkin Hunter had came some in. of his best seasons under Boudreaux. But, like, it all, exactly. inevitably, every, it goes sour, like, with everyone. Every relationship goes goes sour. It just happens that way. But it's interesting Whereas, like, the difference right. is, is, like, with, like, Barry Trotz, like, first of all, Islanders fans, settle it down. You've been to two yeah, straight yeah, conference finals. Your team has had COVID, and, like, every important player has been hurt, and you started 13 games on the road. It might be a throwaway season, but you've had two conference finals. Shut up. That also, like, it could not have been a more difficult start to the season for them. So, yeah, everyone relax. And Barry on Trotz that. is one of the best coaches in the league. Like, that is, like, not even up for debate. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've reached the end of our bonus episode here. Uh, we're still going to have our normal episode this week, so don't worry. This is just a little extra bonus piece of content for you because, hey, you know, timely stuff. Got to tackle it. Um, find Rachel on Twitter, Rachel Dory. Me on Twitter, MikeyStevens81. Podcast on Twitter, at StaffGraph. Uh, find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, any podcatcher you can possibly think of. Uh, and uh, leave us a nice review, buy our merch. At, on Redbubble, redbubble.com slash staff and graph shop. And Rachel, before we head out, anything you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, send us your Christmas wish list. Mm, yes, because that's this week, baby. That's this we're week. We're doing the Christmas wish list. Um, and then we're going to do our nice list and our Grinch list. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will go from there. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, folks, we'll see you later this week. <laughs>